How you spend your money is, in many ways, how you spend your life. So how can you generate not just a return on your investments, but a return on life? Welcome to the Own Your Wealth Podcast. Whether you're a working professional, a small business owner, or thinking about retirement, listen in as host Jason Deshays of Cook Wealth discusses tax strategy, financial planning, and more to equip you to live life empowered and truly own your wealth. Welcome and thank you for joining us today for Own Your Wealth with Jason Deshays. I'm Wendy McConnell. Hi, Jason. How are you? I'm great, Wendy. How are you? Oh, I'm good. It's it's almost football season. It's football season. Jason. I know. I used to be so, so into football. And then I had kids and I stopped being able to like commit to Sunday watching. Yeah. And so now I'm like, my kids are now getting back interested. So, okay, now is the time. So I got re-engaged, but now I don't know who plays for which teams. Like I used well, to, especially if I did fantasy football. Well, that's all right. Football is played on Saturday anyway. So, <laughs> no, that's college ball, Michael Holloway. Um, thank you for jumping in there. Yeah. So, who's your team, Jason? That's what I want to know. Norm for for NFL. pro football, it's the Seahawks. Okay, and that's because I'm, well, my, I, I'm a Pacific Northwest born okay. and raised. Okay, and Michael, what uh, what is college team do we follow? App State. I'm a proud Appalachian alumni. Hmm. Never even heard of it. <laughs> oh, well, Wendy's not from this part of the country, so yeah, that's, that's an acceptable answer. I went to Temple. <laughs> and, and Mike is also a big Carolina Panthers fan. Very, so yeah, that, very much that, so. That kind of helps oh. you know, get the locale. He's got the locality part covered here. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've got the ge uh, geographics covered. So welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. We're excited. Uh, Jason, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, we're going to talk about a kind of thought process and some levers you pull for a big discussion in most people's lives at some point. It's when you're going to retire, how you're going to retire, and what that looks like. So Mike and I are going to kind of talk through four key things, You know, your plan spending, how long you will work, how much you're saving, and then lastly, how you're investing. So we're going to kind of talk through those. We'll give some cool stories that we've seen with clients and and people who are going through this process and then just kind of get through that. So I think it'd be a good topic. And I think a lot of people it'll, it'll resonate because I think it's on people's mind. There's like talk of the fire movement when people want to like peel out when they're in their thirties by saving like 90% of their income and then not working again, or at least working traditionally like most people do into their sixties and such. But we're going to kind of lean more into the probably more traditional age retirement. Don't you think, Mike? I mean, there's a, there's not a lot of extended experience with the fire movement to say how it's worked out for people. Yeah, but yeah. I think we can talk a little more about people. size there. We, we, yeah. we come across a lot more folks who are looking to retire at your traditional, you know, sixty ish age than than we do trying to retire super super early, unless you're lucky enough to just be one of those folks with a lot of zeros on your salary. I would think that most people would be worried that uh, the regular age, the normal rate um, age, people are worried they don't have enough money. Well, that's so that's what we're going to talk about, because really okay. it's in retirement is not always an assets question. It's a primarily a spending question. Right. So you can have a lot of money. You could have 20 million dollars and retire at 70. But if you're pulling down, you know, $2 million a year in lifestyle costs, that's only going to last you 10, you know, 10 ish, maybe a little more years just in raw numbers. Is that a lot? I would think, at least oh. my, my experience, if you're pulling, <laughs> if you're pulling out 2 million, but I mean, 
I always like to say, well, let's divide by 12 and see how much that's per month. I mean, that's like, you know, a little shy of 200 grand a month. You'd okay, have to maybe spend. it's not that much that I spend. <laughs> too far out of the park. Well, and so let's talk about that spending part first, Mike, because spending is one of those kind of conversations that people have lived a life, right? They've got their kind of thing they've done up through the time they want to retire. And then there's the, the post-employment life that in some people's world, that's them playing pickleball at the local pickleball club and hanging out and gardening and then having coffee, waking up and going to the gym and, and they don't do much. And that that sounds like a pretty cush life. They may not spend a ton in that process. There's also people who want to hit a little harder in lifestyle and they're traveling a lot. They're not going like coach. They're going first class and they're getting the suites on the cruise ship. And that's a different spend in retirement than someone who has more of a like close to home, not doing a bunch. So Mike, what have you seen in some of that spending in that category spending and how it affects people's conversation about when they can retire? Yeah. I mean, I, that's the first thing we look at for a reason. And I think that's the most important thing. And a lot of times I feel like these conversations are kind of looked at backwards where it kind of starts and ends with how do I want to invest my money? When really the most important thing to look at is how much do I need? And that can vary wildly for, for each person. So I think that starts with getting a grasp, an actual grasp on your current budget. Because we find that to be a gap a lot of times, too, is that it's hard to say, what am I going to need to spend in retirement when you don't really have a good grip on what you're spending while you're working? So that it starts there with having a really good idea of, of what your actual living expenses are. That's a good starting point. And then look at, do you think that's going to be the same in retirement? Or are there other things you want to do? I think traveling is, is probably the most common added expense we yeah. see for people. Whereas, yep, I have all my, you know, mortgages, you know, fixed interest, you know, mortgage will say the same. If you have a mortgage, taxes are probably going to say roughly the, you have an idea of what that's going to look like in retirement. But the big additional expense is usually going to be additional travel. Or like you said, recreation, you know, maybe you do want to, you know, you, you want to play golf, you want to join a club, you want to do things like that. So it's kind of starting with getting an idea of what you're spending now, because it's really hard to get an idea of what you're going to spend when you retire if you don't have that first, but I, I think travel is a, is a big thing. We see a lot. Healthcare too is a big one mm -hmm. because you know, you're used to having the corporate health insurance plan, which is subsidized by the company. Well, unless you have a you know, retiree health insurance plan, which some people do if they work for the government or for a large institution, you get to pay that premium now, which can be very expensive. And depending on when you retire that you may have to pay for that for a while before Medicare kicks in. And so that becomes a big cost. And also just the seeing things start breaking down. You're you're having to get surgeries for things, knee replacements or hip replacements and cataract surgery. I mean, I'm kind of listing through the things I know that my older family members are starting to go through where it's like, oh man, you got to do that now. You got to do that now. And those things get kind of expensive. So it's again, more outflow of cash that's not being covered by traditional health insurance like it may have used to uh, when you were working. Yeah. And that ties in super closely with the the second thing, how long you want to work. That again, a big deciding factor that ties in with healthcare. Are you, are you, are you Medicare age or not? You know, that that's going to have a, that's going to have a huge impact on what your healthcare costs are going to look like in, in retirement. If you plan on retiring before you're age 65, then you, you need to plan on being able to cover those costs for a couple of years until you reach that age. So all, all those pieces, all those pieces fit together, but how much you're going to expend and how long you're going to work is just the two, two biggest deciding factors and how comfortable your retirement is going to be. Well, and I'm seeing people who are starting to that, that date may have been 65 for a long time and they're starting to inch it back because of reasons like 
work is becoming harder. And we do have a lot more money than we need. So, and we're not really spending a whole lot. So why am I kind of continuing to do this? I recently talked to someone who's now, it was actually 55. He was real key on that. And now he's like, I don't know, 51 sounding really, really good because it would be Mark 30 years at the same company. Mm-hmm. And that's great. But again, they are also very, um, they have a very thrifty lifestyle. So that gives them that flexibility. That date can change because they don't need as much here. They have some other access to benefits. You know, it is a number and it's a number you can target. And as you get closer to the number, it's also easier for that number to be realistic. It's very hard to say when you're 40, I want to retire at 65 because that's 25 years from now. If you're 57 and you have a choice between 60, 62, 65, that's a lot more tangible. And you can go, yeah, I can do eight more years. I can do seven more years. It, it really is like how comfortable you are and health stuff becomes more certain then. I, I think uh, you might, but I've seen a lot of people where there's a health event that then drives a decision of whether I can continue this pace or not. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, we, we've had clients in that exact same situation where they weren't necessarily planning on retiring early and then, you know, heart attack, health scare, things like that, that are stress related based on their job, then that makes them reconsider, like, do I really want to do this for another five years, Uh 10 years? And that's when the question becomes a lot more pressing of, okay, based on what I have saved now and what I spend now, is that enough? Is is that enough to to get me through? And and, and another thing that ties in very closely as well is the overall family situation. Um, If you have children, you know, how important is it? Um, What kind of legacy do you want to leave? Is that a priority? Or are you looking at these assets as um, as primarily you know, to sustain yourself through through your retirement years. And a lot of times that that evolves and that changes over a person's lifetime as well. You know, you might be at, at one point, that's a, a major priority for you. I want to leave as much as possible to my to my children. And then as you get older and your children get older, maybe they're independently very successful on their own or just your mindset changes. And you say, you know what, the I don't necessarily you know, giving my kids as much money as, as possible isn't necessarily what I'm what I'm looking to do. I, I like the idea that they're having work ethic and doing it for themselves. So all, all these different things, some of it's purely numbers, some of it's emotional, some of it's family dynamics. So there's always always a lot of uh, a lot of different variables that go into this decision and it changes over time. So as as you said, that's why it's a lot easier, you know, make an accurate forecast when you're six, seven years away from retirement as opposed to somebody who's in their 30s that says they want to retire when they're 55. Yeah. And then you know, at the time of this recording, we're going through a little bit of a economic correction. Uh, the the stu- There's a lot of been job shedding in various large companies. And one of the things I, we've seen too, is that people sometimes don't get the choice to retire. They're kind of let go from maybe very highly compensated, good jobs. But then they have this question of, okay, am I able to stop now? Because I, I kind of ended, my, my career ended whether I chose to or not. And do I go get another job or is now the time to just kind of like peel out of, uh, of the working world? And so that becomes a big question. That becomes in the like, can we sustain our spending with the way it is now? It also gets into the next thing we're going to talk about is like saving, right? You know, what am I saving today? Is that enough? Is it good habits? Am I putting it in the right place? I mean, what are your thoughts about that, Mike, in terms of like the current your current savings habits. Yeah, that, that's super important. And that ties in really closely with the first thing we always talk about, which is how much you're spending. And, and so that is, you know, this is kind of a direct 
offshoot of that, you know, knowing how much you're spending, knowing what your budget is, and then knowing how much you truly have that you can that you can put away. And a lot of times, particularly for people that are in a position where they are are well compensated and they don't have a lifestyle that is outside of their means, sometimes this can be really the more the more low hanging fruit. And you know, I, I certainly don't want to diminish the the value of investing your money wisely because it is super important. But this is something that makes your your savings rate really is so much more important than than your investment strategy. You know, w- within reason. You know, of course, if you're sitting in cash for thirty years, that that's one thing. But you know, as long as May your not money be so good that way, yeah, yeah. As long as your money is invested in a way that is you know reasonably appropriate for you, you can squeeze a few percent a year one way or another if you allocate it differently. But your savings rate is going to make such a bigger impact on when you can ultimately retire than your investment strategy. Uh, and I think that's something that a lot of times is lost on people as well. You know, is the, the first thing that a lot of people tend to think is like, okay, can I be more aggressive? Where can I invest my, where, where can I invest my money? What's the stock market going to do? And, and and think of that as kind of the way to, to get to where they want to go faster when really the, the way for them to typically make a lot more headway in that department is to, is to think about, okay, maybe, what are some things that are, you know, I'm spending money on or allocating money to that's not necessary and maybe is not benefiting me. And maybe I could divert some of that towards a, a long-term saving strategy. And that that's ultimately gonna gonna help you grow your wealth over time a lot quicker than trying to make some investment tweaks here and there and maybe, you know, change your investment strategy and take risks that you might not need to take when really the more prudent strategy is to make sure that you're that you're saving as much as you can and you're spending your money wisely. Well, and on top of that, it's also where is that money being saved? Because you could have everything locked up in like 401ks where you have l- more limited choices on when you can retire because that money is kind of got age thresholds you have to hit, you know, get money out of the IRA without some kind of specialty moves, you have to be 59 and a half. Well, if you want to retire at 55, you have a four and a half year gap before that money is really accessible to you in a way that's tax smart. And so maybe you don't just keep shoveling money into the 401k. Maybe you're going to do some backdoor Roth conversions. Maybe you're going to do some post-tax savings and, and have a brokerage account that's freely accessible. I think that's a really a part of it, not just the savings amount, but making sure that it's in appropriately, appropriately bucketed so that you have access to those monies and that you can be smart about. We talked about levers when we started this. Those are level, levers too. Roth dollars are treated differently than IRA dollars or 401k dollars and, and taxable dollars or your a traditional brokerage account can all be taxed differently and pull from those in different ways. It makes much more sense as you're trying to make retirement stretch and go where it needs to and doing it in a way that makes sense, but also isn't just like, well, if I take money out, it's taxable and that's just what it is. And, you know, so a ta- big heavy year because you had to go do some improvements on the house because the roof collapsed. Well, guess like you're just gonna have a big tax year this year. You know, we want like seeing people have that. Yeah, that that that's very true. Where you save is probably not quite as important as how much you save, but it is really, really important. And anybody that is looking to retire early, which in in, in this context is really before age 59 and a half, if, if you are not saving outside of retirement accounts, uh, that's gonna be a really, really difficult goal to attain. And then also kind of, you know, going back to one thing we were talking about earlier, being healthcare costs being such an important thing to plan for in retirement. That's where the power of HSAs can really come in as well. 
gives you an opportunity. You know, the only savings vehicle out there that's triple tax deferred, you can build up money in there and invest it just like you can inside of an IRA. And then in your retirement years, you can use that for Medicare premiums. You can use that for long-term care premiums. You can use that to pay for the cost of long-term care later in life. That's such a valuable tool that a lot of people don't fully utilize, or they look at it as a, this is a place I can put money, get a tax deduction and just pay my medical expenses for this year, as opposed to thinking of it as a long-term savings vehicle. And I think a lot of people are still kind of think about it in, in, in terms of, you know, some of the old health savings account that was kind of user to lose it. And at the end of the year, if you have money left over, you better spend it. Otherwise that money's gone. But, you know, with, with HSAs now being as prominent as they are, that's such a really valuable, really valuable tool for retirement that a lot of people don't fully utilize. Well, for a person who's maybe high income and they have access to these high deductible plans that with HSA, it's you're still getting the tax deduction. But if you pay for those costs afterwards, we're trying to use this for the future. You have to really kind of reorient their mind that that's not the bucket of money to pay the current expenses. Mm -hmm. That's really the long-term play. It's, it is a, you have to code it as because it's really coached for most people as, hey, you get a tax deduction, put it in and go put take the money and pay your tax, your uh, medical bills out of this pool. So we're trained to like just use it as it's in there. And now it's to kind of retrain as a savings tool for the future. Now, one of the other things I want to talk about too, Mike, and it's not quite a savings thing, but kind of can be construed as social security uh -huh. because social security is, you know, as you earn more and you work more, the calculation changes. And so kind of just give me your philosophy on, on that with, your how long you're going to work, how they impact Social Security, when you take Social Security, because that kind of fits into what you really have access to in terms of that retirement piece. Yeah, that, that's always a really, really important piece of the puzzle for us when we're when we're working with folks that are thinking about retirement, because, you know, there there is, as you said, when you start Social Security will impact how much Social Security you're you're able to draw. And there's a couple other considerations to think about, too. One being your your family situation, depending on whether you have a household where both spouses are working or just one spouse is working. First of all, when do you take it? Two, does it make sense to take your benefits or does it make sense to take spousal benefits? And spousal benefits can also be available even if your spouse has passed away or if you've been divorced, depending on the, the specifics of your situation. So it's not always quite as simple as just, here's my social security, when do I start it? Oh, that's a really it. important. Yeah, yeah, although that's a really important thing to think about. But when we're looking at when to start Social Security, uh, I think it's really helpful to look at. We, we use tools that will give us uh, the ability to look at kind of a year by year cash flow report based on when you start Social Security. And that's really helpful visual, I think, for people to see. Because uh, if you put it into a spreadsheet, typically you're going to see your lifetime benefits uh, based on your life expectancy, of course, are going to be the most if you wait until 70. For a lot of people, that does make sense, particularly for those people that might be kind of right on the border of being able to be comfortable in retirement. But for other folks, that might not be the case, because sometimes it's not only just what's going to get me the absolute most, every single penny I can get out of the Social Security program. It's also important to think about when are you going to be getting that money? And, you know, sometimes you're going to enjoy that money right when you retire. If you're retiring at 65, 66, that might be the time you're taking the most trips. Uh, maybe you're, you're, you want to get out, you want to spend time with family or grandkids, and that's going to be when you're going to be most active during retirement. Maybe you'll get a lot more enjoyment out of that money 
when you're 66 or 67 than when you're 72 or 73. And yeah. again, all these pieces fit together that ties into your health situation, ties into you know what your, what your spending habits are. So there's a lot of things to consider, but it's not always as simple as, okay, here's your benefits at 67. Here's your benefits at 70. Your lifetime payout's more at 70, wait till 70. So there, yeah, there take, was a lot take more the, to think the about. The biggest number. And, and that's the... I've had this conversation a lot lately where, and we've taken a little bit of a side, we'll get back to the fourth one because it's really important to you, the fourth one, but you know, 70 is a hard year. 70 is this like time where someone either they go one direction or the other. And I've met 75 year olds who are in better shape than they've been in their life. And I've also met 75 year olds who are now bedridden and, in the worst shape of their life and they are not living any life. They're just existing on a, in a, in a bed and watching TV or reading and reading and then rereading the same chapter over and over again. It's like, it's a hard time. So it's not about the maximum dollars always. It's about the really enjoying the money that you have. So it has an intended purpose and you're not just going to die with a bunch of it. But then in the period where you could have been using it, you were being, you weren't using it because, well, I'll wait to get the most out of it. Well, then by the time you got it, you didn't really need it because you weren't going to spend anything at that point. So let's go to number four, the investment approach. And mm-hmm. that's the one that everyone wants to start with because somehow they're going to find that right stock that's going to go from a dollar to $150 in a year and make them billions. Um, but that's not really a viable, like not to say viable, but it's not necessary going to make or break it if you don't have the other parts taken care of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hitting the home run and buying the right stock that's going to increase 10, 15, 20 times is great if it happens for you, but uh, it's certainly not something to build a financial plan around. And when we think about investment approach, um, it really all comes down to a, a couple of things And it, you know, it, um, probably sounds boring and people hear it all the time. And it comes down to how much risk and volatility are you comfortable with and how much time do you have to allow this money to grow? The more time you have, you know, historically, you know, it it has been proven. There's plenty of data to support this, that the, you know, investing heavily in the stock market is gives you the best chance to keep pace with and beat inflation and compound your wealth over time. But if you're close to retirement, that might, you might not necessarily have the luxury of the time to allow that to happen. Um, so it's, it's all comes down to how much risk you're comfortable with, how much time you have to let it grow. And then of course, remaining invested. That, that is, you know, far and away the yeah. most important thing where you've seen the most cautionary tales out there of people that for a variety of reasons, they think, all right, this is it. This is the time. Things are never going to get better, whether it's, you know, who's getting elected in a particular presidential election cycle or, you know, any kind of economic event that's going on that they feel like, all right, this is it. You know, the stock market is is never going to come back. I can't keep my money in the market. They pull their money out, leave it in cash. And inevitably you can't be right twice and you don't get back in in time and you miss all of that run back up in the, in, in the stock market. And so that that's, that's, you know, staying invested, um, and having the best, you know, and having a strategy that's appropriate for you is is really important. But I think a lot of people do get, you know, you can, you know, by trying to time the market and or by putting way too much and taking a really huge bet on one individual company that you think is going to be the one that, you know, gets you from having $100,000 to having $2 million uh, is really where we see a lot of people will will falter. And it's just something, you know, that, uh, you know, that Warren Buffett said that a lot of people get, uh, you know, get kind of jaded and don't do it because nobody wants to get rich slow. 
You know, everybody wants to, <laughs> everybody wants to think about how can I get rich tomorrow? Um, and so it doesn't necessarily sound all that exciting to say, all right, let, let's invest responsibly and see if we can't get 7% a year. But 7% a year is going to double your money every decade. So, I mean, there, there is, it's something that, you know, over time, the power of compounding is, is such a, you know, such a fascinating thing. And, and it, and it, it really can over time get you to where you want to go if you're disciplined. You know, a lot of people are kind of looking for that, looking for that quick fix. And, and that's where. Yeah, gets a lot of people. In uh, I think it was Vanguard recently released some. It was a, one of those little time-based graphs, and it was showing how if you left the market at certain times over the last twenty years, like in the Great Recession, and if you went to cash and didn't go back, you mm-hmm. had a little bit more cash than you had before, but not much. And then there's the person who just kept investing, and and they end up with four or five times what the person who left it then and it had different points at covid or even last year uh it's just amazing those points where people are very emotionally driven really just go man i uh, i can't do this and and it it does come back and i generally with um people when they're investing I, I, if they get worried about the stock market i try to say well you know these days seem really weird now as the stock market's gotten bigger, those swings on points generally get bigger and they look scarier. Well, I'll pull up on Google Finance. I'll just take the Dow and I'll just say, let's just look at this and let's look at a month. Let's look at six months. Let's look at a year. Let's look at three, five. And I keep pulling back and those little blips become real blended in with everything else. But there's ultimately, a it's an upward to the right trajectory. It's not down to the right. It's not down it just it just goes that way and so you know you got to trust the process a little bit and i know some people especially now you look at things like real estate and that's like that was for a while the darling right and it couldn't go wrong and then it did and then or yeah, and, oh, oopsie and- interest rates went up huge and now it's not going up as fast as quickly with like no consequences i mean there was a period especially here in the triangle I, what mike would you say it was like 2000 and 2020, 2021, and the first part of 2022 before interest rates started jacking up. Like you could sell anything for any amount of money almost. No one would question it. They would buy it sight unseen and then you would close. And, you know, you may have only bought the place a year ago, but you had a 45% increase in value. And that's not happening anymore. And now it's harder to move things. People don't want to pick up a 6% mortgage like they, but when they could, used to get two and a half. So, it's just yeah. there's a there's a process to all things. There, there is, and and again, it you know sometimes the boring way is is the you know ultimately the 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 way to be successful long term. You talk about the you know the the challenge of of timing the market. There's so much data you know on this. If there's a you know the 20 year time period that ended in at the end of 2022, you know if you invested ten thousand dollars, this is just looking at the S P 500. If you invested ten thousand uh, dollars and then let it ride for that 20 years, it would have been sixty five thousand dollars at the end of that 20 years. If you just left it alone, didn't do anything with it. If you were out of the market the 10 best days during 20 years, all of a sudden it's 29,000. You missed out on more than half the returns over a two decade span by not being in the market for the 10 best days. And what makes it extra hard is when those days come, like in 2020, the second worst day was two days before the second best day. So if you got your money out, even if you got your money out right before the second best day, you better hope you had it in there 
48 hours later or, or you're going to miss the whole, out. the whole ride yeah. back up you so got the down you got the down ride but you didn't get the up ride it, it's yeah. such a yeah it, it's such an such a hard thing such a hard thing to do to try to try to beat the market and 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 time it and you know those little graphics i i think are, are really powerful that you know when you see over the course of 20 years all it takes is 10 days for you to miss out on all of a sudden half the returns over 20 yeah. years you're not getting them. well this i mean this is all a lot right and there's a lot to think about and there's a lot of like different levers to pull and and i think that's where mike i always like our collaborations but our, our collaborations are clients that we can talk through these things and and we're not the same we don't have the same emotional tie to their situation because it's their life we're here to help support it but it allows us to be that person that kind of brings a different perspective in and says hey you know you're actually doing things really well can you think about it? Because there's a lot of people who do think, well, no, I got to get the pool bigger. I got to get bigger. I keep working. I got this thing's got to get to the like eight figures or I'll, I'm going to die in the trailer park. And it's, that's not always the case. So it's good to have that advocate for you and who's there to help advise and coach. And I think that's what we we do here at Cook Wealth. And I'm really happy to help people through that. And so, and I know Mike does too. So Mike, thank you for being on the show for this. this has been a fun conversation about something that isn't, near dear all of our hearts but also a real relevant issue for people is like i can't work forever how is that going to work for me so thanks for being on the show yeah thanks for having me i appreciate it It was fun by the way i don't mind getting rich slow i'm perfectly okay (laughs) (laughs) you just want you just want the rich part you know as long as you be slow or fast rich is cool that's the most important part (laughs) so jason if people have more questions how do they get in touch with you they can go to our website, cookwealth.com, or call our office, 919-784-9100. All right. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Michael. And thank you for listening today. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with your friends. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. Thank you for listening to the Own Your Wealth podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at cookwealth.com or give us a call at 919-784-9100. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Cook Wealth Management Group, LLC, is a registered investment advisor with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Cook Wealth Management Group, LLC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.